0: You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 58 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And as always, I'm very excited to have all of you. What are we covering tonight? We are covering a Tesseract mailbox from our friend Kim and uh, they want to uh, they have questions about the push fit models for age of sigmar but i'm assuming it also works for 40k as well. We have a want that or want that not Titan Forge Ancestral Anvil model which is a very interesting looking model. We'll see if i like that or don't. And that's for the metal beards which is their uh, their version of dwarves on their website. And finally we have creating custom scenarios which is definitely in my wheelhouse. Uh, that's that's one of the things I love to do, and I've been doing it for a long time, and we've had a lot of success with it. So those are the three segments of the show tonight, and um, what have I been up to? Well, first of all, I'd like to remind you to please check out the podcast that I was interviewed on, which is the Lonely Havoc podcast. Uh, it's the episode entitled Goblin Porn, and that's because of our uh, our very highbrow conversation we had, clearly. And, um, what else? Oh, Sable Army Transport. Uh, they gave us permission to give out the code for twenty percent off your order, and it's Bag Lady because him and I both used the word Bag Lady in the interview, and that was the secret code. Um, he'd also like it if you joined his email group, but um, you know, you could do that, and you could also get twenty percent off your order, and that's uh, I think it's through November, or it might be until November. So go ahead and check that out. What have I been doing? Um, well, I played a game of uh, Grey Knights versus Blood Angels this week, and uh, this is the same guy that I said a couple weeks ago that um, uh, I felt I didn't feel like going easy on, so I took fewer points. Well, this uh, this game we played fifteen hundred points, and he had Blood Angels, I had Grey Knights he was actually like 1560 points, I think. And I, and I decided, you know what, I don't want to go easy. I just want to try to win and play hard. So I am going to take, uh, just a thousand points to his 1560. So as you can well guess, that's a pretty huge deduction. Uh, I also put one other stipulation on myself that I could only play with my painted models. So uh, my gray knights, a lot of them are unpainted because I've only had the army for what, six months, something like that, maybe five months. And I've got like three five man squ- strike squads painted, a rhino, a, uh, venerable dread, a wraith, I mean, a dread knight and a uh, five man interceptor squad. And I think that's it. That's all I have painted. So, um, that's what I took. And, um, it was a very close game. Uh, I, th- I thought we were going to finish at turn four because it was getting late. And if we would have finished at turn four, I would have won, like, I'm going to say nine to five or something like that. But he's like, oh, well, we've got enough time for one more one more round. And I'm like, OK, sure, whatever. We'll do one more round. And then that's when everything went downhill, uh, spectacularly. So I had one last interceptor that was holding an objective, which would have scored me four more points, one at the end of my turn and, uh, three more at the end of the game. And he was, like I said, the lone interceptor and he went to go smite someone and rolled double sixes. I had no, uh, command points left to re-roll. So he just killed himself and that lost me that objective. It was up inside a building, so it was very hard. I was already spread out around it. And uh, then another thing is that you should always pre measure the distance between two buildings because I also, on my last, this extra turn, I would have driven my rhino around to uh, contest an objective that he had. And when I went to go move the rhino through between two buildings, I realized that, oh, it does not fit through those two buildings, just barely. I mean, just like an eighth of an inch, a sixteenth of an inch. I just couldn't fit through there without touching both sides of the rhino to the buildings. So that cost me, or that cost him. I mean, that, that would have cost him, so it cost me. Uh, if I could get through there, I would have obje- uh, contested. So, at the end of the game... Uh, he ended up winning, uh, 11 to five or 11 to six, something like that. And, uh, like I said, I, it was a big swing in that last turn. I was like, darn it. I, I almost won, but it was a super fun game. Uh, he's, he's always super nice to play with. He's a new player. He's been playing like six or seven months, I guess. And, um, so, but, uh, of course I don't tell him I'm, I'm taking a 33% deduction in points. But uh, he doesn't know, you know, Grey Knights are a small point army anyway, so he doesn't know the difference between that and a normal army. Um, But that causes me to have to play really hard and really, really, really try. Because um, obviously there's a points disparity. What else have I been working on? Well, I've been on a little bit of a Grey Knights kick. So I've been painting, I painted up another Rhino... So that gives me two painted rhinos. And um, I'm painting up a, an ancient with a banner. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to use them because I don't really like the bottle. I mean, I don't really like the unit that much. But uh, once again, I only like paint with, uh, playing with painted stuff generally. So that's that. And what else? Uh played another two rounds of my online game with Nate, who challenged me because I said I'd never lose. And uh, right now, boy, it is... We have bloodied each other's noses pretty badly. I think we're going into turn four. I'm i I'm winning with six points to nothing, I think is where we're at right now. But he just came in with a bunch of reserves. Uh, Tempestus, a uh, military Tempestus, and three Hellhounds. And, ooh, things are getting rough now. So I thought I had the upper hand. Uh, it's also funny using digital dice rollers because, you know, it, it goes, like, really high and really low. And Uh, one time I rolled like, I'm going to say nine or 12 dice and every single one of them was either a one or a four. Like, that's just, that's just such a weird thing that doesn't normally happen in real life, but at least we're both using the dice roller. So at least it's fair. Sometimes, you know, he's like, watch me roll a one and he rolls a one. Uh, other times, you know, I do similar things. So, uh, Anyway, so that's been fun, but we're beginning turn four, I think it is, on that game. And uh, he said he's going to type up a uh, quick little summary of how the game goes once we're finished. And I'm going to read that on the air, and hopefully it does not bore you. It's a little mini battle report. And what else? I've been working on the novel still, and I've been super busy with Shorehammer, uh, things are wrapping up. Uh, I mean, shaping up to be a gangbuster year. I'm super, super excited. It's the most events we've ever done at one time. It's the most number of people we've ever had at one time. Uh, I'm going ape on all these banners and and uh, standees and posters and tablecloths and just trying to make it look really, really professional. And I'm super excited about it. And of course, I'm excited to see all of my friends again. Uh, what's it in two months? hammer's just in two months. I've ordered all the trophies, uh, all the merchandise, all that stuff. So super, super excited. And I think that's about it, honestly. Um, but you know what? After after seeing something I saw recently, I'm getting really excited about my Space Wolf squats again. That army. So I might end up busting that out sometime soon because they're they have been uh you know, collecting dust for a while, and boy, do I love those Space Wolf Squats, so I think I might do that, but the Grey Knights, I, you know, I crapped on Grey Knights for so many years, and, uh, I never liked them, and, you know, I just started this army specifically out of spite, this is one of my first spite armies, because everyone says, oh, you can't win with Grey Knights, and, um, I've been able to pull that off the majority of the time, and, um, It's pretty interesting because I've come to really enjoy that army, (laughs) which I never thought. Tau and Grey Knights are the two that I would crap on at all times. I hated those two armies. And uh, I've tried Tau before, didn't care for it, and I never thought I'd play Grey Knights. But here we are, and I'm loving it. So, alright, well, let's get this show on the road. Sorry I delayed it, but I had a bunch of stuff to say, and away we go. Let's open the Tesseract Mailbox. On this edition of the Tesseract Mailbox, I have a message on pimcron at gmail.com from a listener named Kim. And they write, Hey PimpCron, I have a hobby question for you. I have noticed that several of my push fit models from the Soul Wars box don't fit well. I am trimming my little pieces off of each model where they are attached to the sprue, so that isn't the issue, but many of my Stormcast have noticeable gaps in their shoulder pads which looks terrible. Have you ran into this? I have resorted to using liquid green stuff to fill those gaps, but still does not look good. I'm getting really irritated. I am new to the hobby, about 7 months, and this is the first time I have had issues with this sort of thing, and only in this box specifically. I will defer to your sage advice. I enjoy the show. Thanks in advance, Kim. Well, Kim, thanks first of all for writing in and listening to the show. I appreciate it. And anybody can reach us at facebook.com slash pimpcron or pimpcron at gmail.com. And you know, Kim, I know exactly what you're talking about because the soul wars box for some reason, actually I've ran into this with um, some other storm for, for some reason, stormcasts seem to be the ones that really run into this. I don't know why, but some other push-fit Stormcast models from the original starter set with corn and Stormcast, where they have a seam right down the middle of their shoulder pad, and even though there's the knob and the hole on either side of the model, and it's usually just a two-part model, um, even though they have those there, and you should be able, in theory, to just push them directly together, it doesn't, for some reason, uh, go all the way together. There's like a hairline crack. And I ran into the same exact thing. Um, I was probably lazier than you and I just built it up with uh, uh, paint in that crack because it was on uh, one of my flat shoulder pads or one of my plain shoulder pads without a symbol. But I do see how that's really irritating. I was able to figure out that there's a super super simple easy uh, fix for this and it's essentially you just snip off the tabs uh, the the pegs that go in the holes from the other side of the, the model, those pegs, for some reason, and like I said, it's just for the Stormcast, for some unknown reason, those pegs almost seem like they're a little too long, like they're longer than they should be, and they bottom out. Now, it could be that somehow, you know, if you're gluing your your pegs, uh, that it could just be reacting very quickly once it goes into that, uh, socket, I don't know, but that's what was happening to me as well until I just said, Well, you know, uh they want me to use the pegs, but the pegs are not working, so let me snip these pegs off just preemptively and glue the edges of the whole model because you know obviously it's a hollow model, and the edges still touch, so even without the pegs, and it worked beautifully there there was absolutely no issue whatsoever, so the um uh, I've I have ran into the same exact issue, and I'm glad you bring it up because I've had I've seen some other people on Facebook bring it up occasionally, and I don't know if it was Stormcast or not they were talking about. But with push fit models, they don't always go together perfectly, and I don't know why. So it's better to just completely ignore the push fit, and if you glue the edges of the model well enough, it's going to stick together anyway. So uh, don't don't fret too much about that. I have not actually glued together any of my ghost or uh, night haunt half of the Soul Wars box. So I don't I don't know if that does that but you said specifically stormcast and that was the exact same issue I had. My evocators or evocators, my evocators from the Soul Wars box, I had that real issue with and also I think it was my retributors from the original box I had that same issue with. So uh, hopefully this is helpful. Just snip off those pegs and don't worry about it. So, uh, I wish there was more really to say about that, but really that is a super, super easy fix. And, uh, that's all I gotta say. So thank you for listening, Kim. I appreciate it. And anybody that feels like it can write in anytime they want. Um, I'm actually getting low on messages. So, uh, send me some messages. It could be about anything. Uh, what, what favorite ice cream flavor, I like to use in my cereal. Whatever. Want that or want that not? On this edition of Want That or Want That Not, I'm covering Titan Forge's... What's it called? That's right. Titan Forge is what's it called? It's called the Ancient Forge. It's not actually what's it called. I was just I was just being stupid. It's Titan Forge. Titan-Forge.com, and they have a lot of fantasy and sci-fi miniatures and bases, and they have some board games and things like that. But specifically, I was on my uh, one of my Facebook groups that I'm part of, which is the Age of Sigmar Dispossessed group, and. They have, um, of course, dispossessed as dwarves in Age of Sigmar, and somebody asked, "Hey, uh, where is where can I get an anvil for you know my kit bashing or whatever?" Because he wanted to make it, uh, something with an anvil, and somebody shared a link to Titan Forge, and Titan Forge has a ancient forge is what it's called, and it is one of the coolest things. I don't know why it strikes me. It is one of the freaking coolest things I've ever seen in my life. So, um, I believe the Dispossessed have a like a ancient anvil or whatever they clang on, and it gives people buffs. Well, this one goes a complete step further. It is for $35 USD. It's actually uh, from Europe, though. And it is called the Ancient Forge. It is essentially two platforms. One platform where this dwarf is basically strapped into this harness, and there's a giant machine behind him. And he has both of his stubby little arms raised, and behind him, this machine has these giant robotic arms with dull, massive hammers. And his little arms are raised, and its massive arms are raised exactly how his, his arms are. And in front of him is a smaller platform with this giant anvil. And it is so cool. I just wrote an article about how, you know, I'm getting bored with all the new GW releases and whatever, and I've I found it hard to get excited about a model for a while now. Um, but this one struck me so hard. It is the Ancient Forge, and they have a whole army of um, dwarves called Metal Beards. And it seems like a lot of them are, like, cybernetic or steampunky. But this thing is just amazing. Um, I was telling just James that... Part of me wants to put it on spider legs, or um, or honestly take like a dread knight's legs and cut off just the dwarf and the uh the arms and the and the machine from the platform, and put it on um a dread knight's legs from gray knights, and just have him walking around. He could be my Bjorn on bogey sled, you know, Santa sled. Is it Bjorn? It's not Bjorn. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't care. Anyway, <laughs> completely irrelevant of this. But if you actually look on uh, Titan Forge's stuff, they've got a lot of different stuff that is, um, pretty cool proxies for, you know, Kings of War, or AOS, or 40k, or whatever. And their prices, I mean, to be resin, their prices are not too bad. Uh, you know, sometimes resin ends up being kind of expensive, but, uh, if you're looking through their stuff, it is pretty cool. They've got a lot of interesting takes on things, such as the, you know, metal beards being kind of cyborgy sort of thing like I just said. Um so anyway, I just wanted to mention that because it was freaking cool and I am 100% I want that and I'm not lying to you if I don't have that model within the next couple months, then Well, I guess I won't have it, but I'll be really upset and I will be really surprised because that one has now came up to the top of my list. I think what I'd like to do is get the chassis from a defiler and put that whole thing on the spider legs of the chassis or if I can find spider legs of something else. They actually, they're metal beards. They have other things that are um, on spider legs. So honestly, I could just make, you know, double double purchase on here and do the spider leg thing they also have adorable little ancestral zeppelins which are these personal zeppelins adorable they also have a colossal zeppelin which is a bit bigger and it's got this big gun on it and that's also adorable so just wanted to tell you this is a pretty cool website i don't think i've ever been on Titan Forge before honestly so, definitely a want that from the Pimpcron, Titan Forge Ancestral Anvil. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Come one and come all to the Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today I wanted to discuss something that is near and dear to my heart. It's something that I have a lot of experience with. What would that be? Well, masturbation. No, nope, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, it's actually creating custom missions for <laughs> Warhammer 40k and Age of Sigmar and essentially anything. Everyone loves the idea of narrative missions and very few people know how to actually go about them. So I thought it'd be interesting to give some quick pointers on exactly how you create custom missions to fit a theme or a campaign or a story that you're trying to tell. Um, it's... There's several different principles to it that we probably want to cover, so... Ideally, you want to keep it simple. The main idea behind designing good scenarios for Warhammer is to add flavor and variation to the game. But don't interrupt or take away from the main game in any way. So, obviously, you enjoy playing 40k or AOS or whatever, and you enjoy it for a reason. So don't add or take away anything that might mess up the game you love already. Your aim should be to change it in a subtle way as possible and don't break the game, or give one player a serious advantage, or become a side game in itself. I'll have examples in a bit, but something to keep in mind is that a little change can go a long way. First off, deployment zones are common things you see in custom games, and custom missions I mean. And it is the essentially the quickest and easiest way to start making a scenario And it's just by changing the deployment zones. Uh, One person could deploy in the center, and uh, the other one comes onto the table on turn one. Or maybe the person walking onto the table can choose their side for the whole army. Or choose each side every different unit comes on. Something like that. You know, where they're coming all... You don't just have one side. You're coming on all over the board. Ew. Uh, (laughs) Think about how different... Deployment would be if you are deployed in the center and you don't know where the threat is coming from. You know, normally, ideally, you have certain aura bubbles and things like that that you want to, uh, you know, take advantage of, or certain ranges, you know, such as rapid fire or whatever. And it's really interesting when essentially the other army is uh, outflanking or deep striking or something like that. So they're literally popping up out of anywhere, and they have the advantage. Of course, you might. In that mission already be sitting on the objective or something like that. So you need to balance it like that. But um, what about artillery? Usually they sit in the back of your battle line or your deployment zone. But with this deployment it, right in the center, there's no safe place for them. There are any number of things you can do simply involving deployment zones that will change the game and fit your narrative without messing up with the main game as you know it. One whole army deep strikes onto the field, or only fast attack units may be deployed and everything else is in reserves. Or split the table into two foot squares and randomly determine which sectors you can deploy in. It's literally the sky is the limit. Um a l- good rule of thumb is to keep deployment zones twenty four inches away from each other, which is you'll notice that GW generally does that for all their custom missions. Um, that gives shooty armies at least one full turn before the melee armies are in their face, etc. Um, now, does that doesn't always mean that, of course. My sneaky wraiths for my Necrons can uh, uh, move and run and charge using a stratagem, so uh, oftentimes you can get first turn assaults. So that's why you really want that 24 inches because that kind of minimizes that for the first turn, unless of course that's part of the narrative. It, that's entirely up to you. But you get the point that changing up uh, deployment zones is exactly the easiest way and the fastest way to change up your game. So even if you, like in the example of having fast attack show up first, and then the rest of the army on the second turn or whatever, well of course if you're charging into something, your fast units, your jet bikes, your planes, or your whatever would show up first. So that, that makes sense narratively. Now, the next easiest thing to change is objectives, because just like deployment zones, it doesn't actually mess with how your army plays. I, I personally like to change of how victory points are scored in my games, such as giving you one victory point each turn, you're on the objective uncontested, or uh, this could represent anything from downloading important data from a console, to interrogating a character, to looting a stockpile of assets, anything like that. Um, this way also prevents the Fast Armies from last minute swooping in on objectives at the end of the game like they used to do in all the previous editions. Now, uh, I honestly can't tell you how frequently it's already incorporated in GW missions as far as scoring at the end of each player turn. But I've been doing it for years, and I think that's probably the, uh, the fairest way to do that. Because you can still swing, you know, as opposed to jumping on objectives at the last turn. Here's an idea. What if your objectives are scared civilians and they're confused? One side wants to slaughter them, the other side wants to save them, but both sides look terrifying. So the objectives start on the center line, and at the beginning of each turn, each group scatters d6 inches or 2d6 inches or whatever you'd like in a random direction as they try to hide or find cover from the firefight. Once again, you alter it just slightly to fit your story but it isn't so complex or involved that it becomes its own mini game that's the problem a lot of people do when they ha- try to make custom scenarios is the scenario itself becomes a mini game inside your warhammer game which is breaking law number 1 is you're not supposed to slow down the game now another neat way to add flavor to your missions is to give your terrain mission specific rules which of course you see in a lot of different missions, uh, narrative missions from GW and elsewhere. Are you fighting in a carnivorous jungle? Uh, all models that end their movement within three inches of the jungle, I don't know, take a wound with some AP or maybe not some AP. And um, Or, you know, you could dish out mortal wounds. Or I mean, there's a million different ways to do it. Um, there's a few things that you need to keep in mind, but I'm going to, uh, I'll touch that on that in a second. So, or are the ruins haunted? Or um, all buildings can cause a leadership check, you know, or as if they took X amount of casualties. Or it could be a negative to their bravery. Something like that. Um, once again, they could dish out mortal wounds as the ghosts tear at the souls of the people, you know, in those units. You'll notice that I choose not to do what GW loves to do and make it a minigame. And, uh, like, previous editions, uh, soul blaze. If you'll recall, Soul Blaze, or the Psychic Phase in previous editions of 40k, where Soul Blaze, I don't even remember what it was now, but Soul Blaze was like, if you took an unsaved wound, then at the start of each turn, on a 5-up, you had to make another save, or something. It was just stupid. Nobody ever did Soul Blaze, because a lot of um, uh, Chaos things had Soul Blaze special rule, and um... Potentially it could do more and more damage over time, like my burning tokens and brutality. But it never really panned out, and just like all the psychic dice for I guess it was seventh edition 40k, but you had these psychic dice pools, and it was just a it's just a real hassle, and it became a mini game inside your game. So Um Okay, so I could say that the unit takes D6 strength three strength three hits. Uh, it could be AP whatever. You'll have to roll the D6, then roll to wound, then roll to save. It's much easier just to auto wound and roll to save, making it simple, easy, and doesn't take away or interrupt the game. Uh, mortal wounds also serve that purpose, but the problem with mortal wounds is that you know you pay points, and this is where I'm going to get into what I just put off you pay points for Terminators to have better saves than a Dark Eldar person, right? So you're paying for that. When you're just dishing out mortal wounds, period, then, of course, the lighter armored person is losing less with each mortal wound because they paid less for that that wound. You know? And um, so generally, I like to try to either take toughness or um, armor save or something into account because that helps the player not feel cheated and it also helps balance the field. Tougher units should be harder to wound or harder to damage via you know area train. But whatever it is, just make sure both players know ahead of time so that nobody is like, what? I didn't know that And they start freaking out. Um, but like I said, mortal wounds is very, very enticing. Oh, D3 mortal wounds. Well, okay, but, like I said, you know, the, the cheaper units actually are hurt less by it than the expensive units. So, um, I also own a lava river that I like to make dangerous terrain. And, um, you know, I'll make it, like, anything that moves through it that doesn't fly on a one or two, it takes a mortal wound or something like that. And that's always fun to do. Uh, once again, you could say, you know, Terminator armor would probably fare lava a little better than Dark Eldar, you know, um, Dark Eldar BDSM armor. And so you might want to say, oh, it's D3 wounds. You guys make armor saves or whatever instead of mortal wounds. But you get the point. Um, then, of course, it's a neat feeling to be fighting an opponent and also be a little worried about the train around you. And in the case of like a dangerous lava river, well, then, of course, on the battlefield, I would put several areas where you can safely cross the lava river. So, of course, then those become choke points, and it just, once again, it doesn't take away from the game. It doesn't add too much to the game, but with just a couple tweaks, everything can feel so much more narrative, just like those choke points. Now, the next part is adding special rules. Okay, so now you're getting into some real potentially game-breaking stuff, and you have to tread carefully. The best and most balanced way to add special rules is to apply it to everyone equally, both players, both armies, whatever. Um, If at the start of the turn, every unit, you know, takes a wound or or everybody's got minus two to their movement or whatever, make it apply to everybody. Like if you're fighting in the void of space, all to wound rolls get, um, you know, minus one AP. Or minus one rand, or well, I guess you wouldn't be in space with AOS, but you get the point. To represent a whole puncture in the armor that kills the soldier where it normally wouldn't. Or in certain circumstances, giving one side uh, fearless is a good idea if you're afraid of them being at a slight disadvantage. You know, once again, the people that deployed in my example in the center of the board and the enemies coming from all around them, okay, well, they're going to start on the objective, but. The enemy has the advantage of going all the way around them. You know, they could pick the weakest spot and attack that. And they start out on the objective, but the enemy is definitely coming to them. So you get closed in and you're actually at a disadvantage for being the one in the center at the beginning of the game. So you may want to go, oh, uh, narratively, this objective or whatever we're holding means so much to us that failure is not an option. Therefore, that whole army gets fearless, you know, where they don't take leadership checks or whatever. Um, so, fearless is one of the special rules that's useful, but it's not game-breaking generally. And it can be a nice addition to try to add some balance to custom battles. Or if a mission calls for an elite unit of people specifically equipped to win the objective... It might be a good idea to give them that fearless, or even allow other units within six inches to kind of look out, sir, for them, however you want to do it. The sky's the limit, but it can quickly get broken if you're not careful. And just like giving um, certain units or certain armies different rules that other ones don't have, those type of things, like the missions that I create for the book I'm making, they need to be play tested a lot because you'll never realize how much that you weren't thinking of when you go to play it, or somebody else goes to play your mission, and you go, oh, geez, okay, well, I said fast units, but I really probably should have said fast units and flyers, or whatever. You always have to be looking out for that person to be you know, looking to cheese it, or to whatever. Now, something else that's really helpful with custom scenarios is you need to agree with your opponent ahead of time. ...that you want to do a custom scenario because they might feel cheated or whatever and a lot of people like the idea of a narrative battle... ...but they don't really know what it is and they still want to win. And if I'm being honest, the point of a narrative battle is not to win. Both players, of course you can root for your side and of course you play as well as you can. Sure, make all the best decisions you possibly can... But the real point behind a narrative battle is the spectacle of oh my gosh look at this you know and naturally there's there's basically no battle that has ever been fought ever in the history of ever that is perfectly one uh, perfectly even and not one-sided and neither you know army had an advantage there are a million different ways that an army can have an advantage or a disadvantage from supplies to location to you know, the high ground, or morale, or equipment, or literally whatever. One army's in mud, the other one's not. I mean, there's a million different things. So, you need to go at custom games, or narrative games, you need to approach them such as historical war reenactment. You know, where people play uh, I don't know, bolt action isn't really it, but there's many, like, Napoleonic games where they go, okay, well look, Here's two pre-made lists. You are Napoleon and you're, you know, uh, anti-Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I tickled myself with that. Uh, and here's your army list already made. This is your deployment already made. Okay, see if you can change history. How would you do it differently? You know, if uh, Napoleon won in this battle, well, then let's see if the other guy can. That sort of thing. And that's kind of the way you have to go with custom scenarios is that you have to go okay you and I of course I want my side to win you want your side to win but let's come up with a story let's come up with a custom scenario and let's do the best we can but ultimately I'm not going to be mad if I lose and you can't be mad if you lose because the scenario is inherently imbalanced really just like every game of Warhammer period honestly if, if we're being honest you know people like to think this game is balanced but it really isn't. Um, like I said before, checkers is really the only balanced game or chess where it's, it's just wits, but I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. So ideally both of you are just watching this game unfold and seeing the story that's playing out and going, okay, well, I see that my army is at a disadvantage from the get go. Let's give me a couple things to try to balance out some, you know, game balance And then let's see if I can hold off. You know, you got to have a clear ending to the game where you go, Okay, we're in the middle. We have a planetary governor that's awaiting airlift. And our entire army in the center is going to be attacked from all sides by whatever your opponent is. Now, I know that you're probably going to wipe me off the board. But can I at least survive and not let you near the planetary governor... Until turn four or until turn five, when the helicarrier finally arrives or whatever it is, the the Valkyrie comes and and gets him. And that is where, you know, it's one of those things of almost of pride where, okay, can I pull the situation out of the trash can sort of thing? And um, I I think narrative battles are very, very rewarding. And I'm actually currently, I don't want to say too much about it, but I'm currently developing a way to add just just the slightest hint of roleplay into your uh, Warhammer games but that's all I can say I've already said too much I'll have to kill you if I say another word about it so anyway I hope this was helpful and I hope some of you give this a try because it's a lot of fun to make your own custom rules and your custom missions toodles